This is the Digital Savage Experience Podcast, hosted by Roman Prokopchuk, bringing you all things digital marketing, tech, business, and motivation. What's stopping you from becoming relentless in all aspects of life? Are you ready to become a digital savage? Let's get into today's episode. Hey everyone, this is Roman Kopchuk and this is the Digital Savage Experience Podcast. Today I have with me Carolyn Lowe. Carolyn is CEO and co-founder of ROI Swift. Thank you for joining me today. Thanks for having me, Roman. My pleasure. So tell me a little bit about your journey. How did you get to where you are today, founding the company, any career pivots you may have gone through, that kind of thing? Yeah, so I'll try. It's a long time ago. I'll go back to 1999. I was living in Boston and I was involved in online and e-commerce and email, just starting to do email marketing. And Dell moved me down to Austin, Texas to come help the consumer division. People were buying their first computers. There was no internet. There was no iPhone. This probably, you know, some of your listeners may not even be able to fathom a time like that, but um, people were buying their first computers. So I, I really enjoyed that. I worked at Dell for six years in a variety of different groups, and the consumer division was really fun because we were number six or seven in market share. We were behind a company called Gateway, which doesn't even exist anymore. Um, and so I really enjoyed that when we were a small team and growing that. And then I went on to run a, some bigger divisions, a couple billion dollar division, and. Um, I left in 2006 to go to a market global market research company, and um, and then I had my first child in 2007. And it's hard to do global travel with a newborn, so I consulted for seven years, and then I went back to work for a small mom and baby company um, in 2014. Did that for a year. Really enjoyed growing them through their Amazon and e-commerce, and said, I'd really love to do this for some other brands. So 2015, started the agency and um, ROI Swift was launched five years ago to really help brands that are three to 30 million in annual revenue grow profitably. We don't think that because you're not a Nike that you shouldn't have access to people who know what they're doing. Yeah, that's awesome. I think every company obviously in that earning uh, range, especially in other companies, obviously as well, smaller, bigger, kind of have marketing have focus in terms of growth from e-commerce to different things of that nature. I think it's important for every company to have access to that in terms of ability to grow. Yes. And that's why that's our goal is to help a thousand emerging brands and we're at 102. So I have 898 to go until retirement. Are you going to, when you reach that number, are you going to retire or is it just (laughs) a kind of a personal goal? I don't know. Maybe I'll, it's a personal goal, but I, I'm, I don't know. I may reset it or I, I may do, like you said, I may do another pivot and find another passion. No, that's awesome. Yeah. I think, I think having a career, I mean, my, my back, well, not my background. I had a pivot in the 2008 recession after I graduated college into digital marketing and I ran with it ever since and founded a company in 2012. But I think in terms of kind of digital marketing, people don't necessarily see kind of it being as a rewarding uh, profession where you're directly impacting the growth of companies and the livelihood of people at those companies, because as those companies grow and you succeed and grow their business for them, they're able to hire more people, pay people better, give people bonuses, promote people. So I think it's that you know rewarding kind of ecosystem. 
We, we totally agree. Uh, we also track, we've created 160 jobs for our clients. So that's the other thing that, that makes you feel good about it. You always ask yourself, if I were to get $10 million tomorrow, what would make me still come to work tomorrow? And everyone on our team is unanimously like, I love helping these small brands. I get a lot of, I get a lot of satisfaction and, you know, the team is largely motivated by accomplishment and, um, and really that's that, 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 that will make you come back to work the next day. Yeah, I agree. I mean, there's different ways that I've helped businesses with a lot of the time is directly kind of lead generation. So when like a high ticket lead comes in, like a fortune company in terms of uh, a service where it's like a seven you know, figure contract or something like that, you obviously feel good about yourself that you're able to achieve that and obviously feel feel good for the company that that's going to carry them into, you know, several months of, you know, a revenue path. Right. And, and it's about choice too. You know, if, if these little companies didn't have experts like yourself and, and like us, then, you know, they might be out of money. There are so many clients that have come to us and we'll audit for them and we'll see the agency they're working with is just lighting their money on fire. And that just makes us so sad because they've worked really hard to maybe raise that seed or that series A and they're just lighting their money on fire. So that was the other passion reason to start the agency is, you know, I made a lot of money for Michael Dell and that's great. And he's a great guy, but um, I really get a lot more satisfaction about helping these 10 or $20 million brands. Yeah. And like you said, a lot of um, agencies, marketing agencies, lead gen, any focus in terms of kind of online um, don't necessarily do the due diligence in terms of positioning the best thing for that client or company in terms of growing. Obviously, a lot of the time it's just collecting a check. I mean, there's been agencies that I've worked at where like six hours of my time, that agency charged the company $40,000 a month. So I'm like, there's something off here when, you know, I'm getting a salary, but I'm doing six hours worth of work and you're literally getting 99 probably percent of that total. And and in terms of having somebody to, to do it, you can do it at a fraction of the cost in terms of, you know, that fulfillment. So I think in in big and small companies, oftentimes agencies take advantage. And me personally, like I, I love getting on the phone with potential clients or even people that I know don't necessarily have the budget, but at least pointing them in the right direction and evaluating and kind of ripping apart if they get a RFP or any kind of contract or proposal where it makes no sense and then telling them what they should be getting and what kind of a, a fair market price for that is. Yeah, that is excellent. I'm so it's we are so aligned on just really helping these companies because otherwise at the end of the day there's nothing left but Coke and Pepsi to choose from and you know, we think there's the consumers deserve more choice than that. Yeah, I agree. So what motivates you to succeed? Obviously, that may have changed over the years with points in your life, but what currently is kind of that motivation? There's a few things that that really motivate me. One is um, for our clients and for those companies creating those jobs. Another one is just uh, the team. I have made a lot of mistakes in my career, um, some of them around hiring. You know, I I didn't hire slow and fire fast, and and that's a big mistake. Um, but you know, my motivations are around helping people, helping companies grow, giving our employees a great place to work and a lot of flexibility. Um, you know, when I was at Dell, it was the culture of eighty hours a week, and 
they just counted whether it was butts in seats and not so much what you got done. And I never wanted to have a culture like that. So what motivates me is to create a company and an environment where people can have that great balance between their family and their work and have satisfying work and do what they like to do. So one of the things we do is we use a system called EOS, the Entrepreneur's Operating System. And we ask, you know, all our team members, do you get it, want it, capacity to do it? And we actually restructured one of our team because uh, one of our teams, because a lot of people really, they got it, but they didn't like that part of their job. And other people love that part of their job. And so now we've been able to restructure and create jobs that people love to do all the time versus, well, I like to do this, but I don't really like to do this. And I was like, well, if there's something you hate to do, like for me, it's finance and, and, you know, bookkeeping and all that. And there's someone who loves that. And so I think that, you know, I'm really motivated by creating and creating a company where people can uh, do what they love and not do what they don't love. Yeah, I agree. And I think kind of those strengths also. So, there's teams, I mean, I usually use a sports analogy where it's an all-star team and they lose to uh, someone that they weren't supposed to lose to, but that team works like a one kind of a, a single unit instead of each individual doing their own thing. So I think understanding everybody's strengths and what they love to do, like you said, and putting them in those positions to succeed. Yeah, I, I love the sports analogy. I think there was a great one when I was at Dell that was about Rodman and the team that Dennis Rodman was on at the time. And they're like, I I just need him to do this, right? And I'm going to build a team around him. And um, And it was kind of interesting how they said, you know, there were a lot of teams where Rodman didn't do as well or the coach couldn't really rein him in. But um, I thought that that was pretty interesting when he was with the Bulls, how um, how they were able to just rein him in. Yeah, he had really one job, I mean, in terms of defense, and he did it the best at the time. And, uh, I mean, they they won championships with that. Yeah, exactly. So what's one thing you may have seen as a weakness in yourself in the past that you've turned around and utilized as a strength today? So as a marketer, I've been a marketer, started in direct marketing before email marketing and, and digital marketing existed. Um, I was never really into the sales part of this. And right now, you know, we haven't had a salesperson. So I'm doing the de facto, you know, somebody calls and refers to us and I do the, the sales piece. And I was always afraid of sales because I always felt like I was selling somebody something and that didn't feel good. And then recently, about a year ago, really smart person that I know, one of our partners in Boston said, it's not selling if you're trying to help them. And now that I've sort of changed my mindset around, like, I'm not trying to sell you something you don't need. I'm actually trying to help you. So there's been nobody that we've worked with that we haven't been able to improve their performance and help them. So I really changed my mindset on sales, whereas you're not trying to sell someone something they don't need. You're actually trying to help them. And by having a conversation with them, you actually are you're helping their company versus being a nuisance. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think sales is viewed as this kind of sleazy thing a lot of the time where people are just trying to push thing on you, push things on you. And I think a lot uh, many times if you put a non-sales person in a sales role like a marketing person, then obviously as is that a marketing agency, they'll do a better job because they know what that like you said, that company or that prospective client needs. 
in terms of, you know, what, what that agency is able to do for them. Yeah. And, and I also feel that, you know, for sales folks, um, a lot of time it's one of the things that's easier for our company is we're not trying to sell you a product or a widget. Um, so we'll do a free audit and we've told a few companies that we can't help them. Like we, we Facebook audited, uh, an account for a t-shirt company uh, or a shirt company, men's clothing. And we said, your, your agency is doing everything right. You don't need to hire us. Like, here's the two things, little things. They're probably like a 95 out of a hundred. Here's the two little things you could go do. And they were like, wow, thank you. And, you know, so just being honest, especially in this industry, there are so many snake oil salesmen. And so we're trying to give the agency world a good name as well, uh, because we really feel like, we don't want to take your money if we can't help you because you're not going to be happy. You're not going to think good of us. And as you know, in the agency world, all you have is your reputation and your results. Yeah, I agree. And I think it's kind of building that reputation and maintaining it. So you're doing kind of the due diligence in terms of giving the right information. And if a client is already doing well, I mean, highlighting that maybe, like you said, pointing out a few things that they can, you know, adjust here or there. But that that goes a long way because that person may leave who they are with now or that company and then you would be top of mind because you gave that genuine kind of evaluation of what they were doing at the moment. That's that's exactly what happens, Roman. We've had so many folks leave one consumer brand and go to another and then they call us up like, hey, we need help with Amazon or we need help with our Facebook ads and you did such a great job for us. So um, that it we feel like it just pays itself forward to be honest and, and upfront. Yeah. And it's relationship building too. And it's huge because like you said, when you kind of build that trust and that person works with you, if they go to another brand, another company, usually if they had a good experience and you they've seen results in terms of what you've done for them, they will bring you to the next opportunity and so on and so forth. Absolutely. So what's one piece of advice you can leave with the audience, personal or professional? Um, I think the biggest thing that I can leave. And it, it may sound trite, but it's about balance. So I did work those 80 hour weeks at Dell. Um, I did. And now I have a family of a nine and a 12 year old. And especially with the current pandemic, it's really important to try to have some boundaries as we're all working from home and to turn off when you can and to be focused when you are working. And we, since we implemented EOS, our, um, you know, my biggest takeaway is let all the little stuff fall away and really only focus on the big stuff. Yeah, I agree. And I think it's flexibility. I'm, I'm a foster parent. So in this whole pandemic, we've had four kids under the age of six. So it's been interesting. Um, and all of them have gotten place within a week and a half to the whole stay at home order happening, or at least in New Jersey where I am. So it's been very interesting in terms of that sense. And uh, like you said, balancing things and just because, like you said, you worked those 80 hours and the company wanted kind of like the butt in the seats doesn't mean those 80 hours were productive. Right. I would assume a lot of them, because they're so burnt out, people did something slower or they just weren't focused. So I think with the whole pandemic, I know a lot of companies like Twitter, a lot of other uh, social media companies are extending people being able to work from home for like the next like two, three years and then optional work from home. So I think it's really changing the landscape of employment globally. 
And I think, you know, there was a big rise in like the digital nomad and freelancing and being remote. I think it's, it's leading to that as well. And I think that's going to tap additional talent pools that weren't normally tapped. So obviously if a role was in New York, they're looking for New York, New Jersey, maybe Connecticut for that Manhattan role. Now, if they put a, a, a request out, maybe even globally, they might find talent that they never expected and maybe even more skilled than what they were looking for. Yes. Yes. It's definitely leveling the playing field because Austin, I will tell you, is a tough market. A lot of companies are coming here. TikTok um, just started throwing all kinds of crazy money at people. So um, it's also great for smaller companies like ROI Swift to be able to maybe tap a a different talent pool. Um, and maybe we can get folks from Houston or Dallas or San Antonio that may not want to move to Austin. Um, that would be great being, you know, remote team members. Yeah. And I think especially in kind of marketing and digital marketing, which obviously I'm in, it's an ever-changing landscape. So you just need the desire to learn. And with, like you said, new companies coming out and new ways to promote those online uh, user behaviors changed a little bit, obviously, with the pandemic in terms of where people were spending their time or more time online. But I think it's it's a great time if you may have been laid off or furloughed or lost your job. If you're looking to possibly pivot and it's something that interests you, all you have to do is go on the internet and you can, if you have the desire, you can pretty much get a basic understanding and even an advanced understanding of certain concepts or strategies. Yes, definitely. So I really appreciate you stopping by today. Can you let the audience know how they can find you? Yeah, thank you, Roman. Um, they can find us on the web at www.roiswift.com. Um, we're also, we're the cobbler with no shoes. So our social media presence is horrible because we spend all our time on our clients, but you can also find us on LinkedIn and uh, Facebook. Just don't expect too much there. <laughs> awesome. Thanks again for stopping by. Appreciate it. This podcast has been brought to you by Nova Zora Digital. Find out how Nova Zora Digital can help your company grow online. Learn more at NovaZoraDigital.com. Until next time, all you digital savages.